Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 35. You can be turning there. This last week, we talked about Jacob and his, his family and really his two sons that went and murdered an entire city because uh, the, uh, the prince of that city um, had, uh, his, the, the city's name was Shechem and his name was Shechem. Uh, this, this guy Shechem had uh, uh, taken advantage of their sister, Dinah. And so as a result, they went and they killed everyone in this city. And uh, it was really an uneven response. It was not uh, proportional uh, to what had taken place. And it was really quite awful. It's an awful chapter. God doesn't speak at all in this chapter. God, there's, there's no words from the Lord. And it basically ends with Jacob saying to his sons, saying, you've made us a stench, and now uh, as a result of what you've done, uh, everyone's going to hate us, and they're going to try to come kill us. And now Jacob is afraid. He's not afraid that his sons just cre- uh, committed mass murder, uh, that they are serial killers at this point. He is not fearful over that. He's fearful over the consequences of what would take place there. And their response to him is, well, should that guy have treated our sister like a prostitute? And then the chapter ends, just like that. And so it's, it's really kind of this, it was, it's really a tough, a tough passage to get through. A lot of people don't even cover it uh, in some commentaries. They just say, read it. it. It is what it is kind of a deal. But we saw some, some great things in that passage. This week, uh, we turn a corner, and God begins to speak again. And we're kind of coming to the end of, of the life of, of Jacob. But really what I think it shows is it shows us uh, who God is in, in large part. Shows us who God is in the life of Jacob and, uh, and how God fulfills his promises and so on. When you think about what it means to be a, a good friend uh, or, or to have a good friend, uh, what, what are the characteristics that you want in that friend? You want a, a friend that kind of sticks with you? You want a friend that stands up for you? You want a friend that uh, keeps their word? Those kinds of things. I don't know if you've had friends that are, that are not that. I think all of us at, at some time or another have experienced friendships where somebody just doesn't seem to really be there for us. They're there in the good times. They're there when we got money. They're not there when we don't have money. They're, they're, uh, they're uh, around at, at times, and that, but then when we're going through a difficult time, we pick up the phone and we, and we call them, and they, they don't answer or they don't text back because they, they know that they're going to end up having to help us or, or something along those lines. And they say, yeah, I'll, I'll be there to help you move or something like that. And maybe you're one of those horrible packers. Like you don't pack before you move. You just like let people show up and, and, then, they're like, and then you're like, hey, pack my stuff for me. Like I hate those type of, those type of moves, so don't ask me to move you uh, in that situation. You should have the boxes packed by the time I get there. Maybe that's why they're not returning your call, but maybe they told you that they were coming anyway and they should have come. They should have come, helped you uh, pack your stuff and, and move you. But all of us know what it's like to have a, a good friend and all of us know what it's like to have a bad friend. And what we see about God is that God is a faithful friend in and through the life of Jacob. God is a faithful friend to him, and he's a faithful friend to you as well. I want to read the passage in, uh, in, in, in total, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it some more here. Genesis chapter 35 says this, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Hang on a second. Remember before... Uh, this passage I was telling you about Dinah 
and how we had said that really Jacob should have gone to Bethel, but he didn't go to Bethel. He stopped short and went to Shechem. And he ended up uh, really putting his family in harm's way by dwelling with these people, by dwelling near them, not going where God had told him to go, back to the land of his kindred where his family was. But he stopped short, went to Shechem. It was more, uh, you know, he liked the city. Who knows why he stopped there, but that's what he did. And then what I just told you was this, is that they just said, hey, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? And that was the end of that. But you, you got to remember that the, the chapter numbers were not put in originally. And so this is just, it was just like, but should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Question mark. God said to Jacob, I mean, just like that, 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 that heck of a transition there, uh, God. This is, this is kind of amazing. But God still speaks to Jacob. And so, and so God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. If you remember that story here for a second. Uh, Jacob is fleeing his, his brother. He's just stolen his birthright. He's, he's stolen the blessing that, that really belonged to Esau. He stole it. Esau is very upset, and Esau is coming after him. Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob takes off, and he, and he runs, and he goes to, to Bethel. And he's in Bethel, and there he meets God. And so God says, I want you to go back to that place. When you were running away from Esau, where I met you and where I made some promises to you, I want you to go back to that place. And so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make, uh, make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Remember, Jacob's afraid that these surrounding cities are going to come after him and kill him because they just killed everybody in Shechem. And so that's what Jacob is afraid of, but God protects him. He brings a terror on these people, and they're afraid of Jacob. God intervenes there. And Jacob came to Luz, this is, or that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Elon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall, your, uh, shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. 
when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kireth Araba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years old, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, what's going on here is that there, there's, there's several different things taking place. It's denoting the end of an era. It's denoting the end of a time period. And why, how, how can we see that? Well, you see all the deaths that are happening here. It's the end of uh, a, a, a long life for Jacob. He's kind of in the sunset years, as one commentator called it. The sunset years, like he's you know, at least over 50, his knees are giving out, he's, uh, he's getting a, a little bit older, uh, people are dying off around him, family members, stuff like that, his wife dies, that's obviously sad. Deborah, who is his, uh, uh, it, what Deborah was his, his mother's nurse, and then when his mother died, Deborah obviously went with him, and so here's Deborah, and she's quite old, and so she's probably uh, Grandma Deb to the kids. And so the, the grandmother is dying. I mean, this, this guy, he's, he's later in life, and people are beginning to pass. And so we're showing the end of an era, an end of a time period. And so we're, we're beginning to look at what are the results, what's the legacy of this guy's life, what's happening with him, like what, 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 what's going to be the fruit of his life. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this guy, Jacob, and obviously I just told you about what happened at Shechem when they killed all these people. And we saw all of the different ways that Jacob had disobeyed God. We saw all of the different ways that he had cheated his brother. And he was just kind of a cheater, generally speaking. And here is this guy who God just continues to promise and continues to promise and continues to be with him over and over and over again. And as we look back over his life, we see how messed up things have been with him, and yet God has remained a faithful friend. So there's three things that I want you to see from this passage, and that is that God's presence, his protection, and his promises remain the same in and through your life. And my hope for you is that as you get on later on in life, as you come to the end of your days, some of you are closer than others, as you come to those days that you would be able uh, to rejoice 
and how God has upheld you, how God has lifted you up, how God has been a faithful friend through his presence, his protection, and his promises as you go on in life. Because we don't want to get to the end of life and come to this point where where we're just an upset old person. We're just a, a person that's upset with the way that things have gone in our life. And we haven't really recognized what God has done in our life, and we haven't really uh, followed him much. What we want to look back over is we want to look, look back over our lives, and we want to be able to recount the grace that God has had in our life through these various ways. And so let's look at this passage together. The first thing that I want to talk to you about is God's presence. It says in verse 30, uh, chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your b- brother Esau. Now remember what I just told you, and that is that, that this whole situation at Shechem had just happened. And if you're like me, and you're, maybe you've been in a situation, hopefully not similar, where you killed an entire city, but perhaps it's, it's that you just... You just have really messed up your life. It, it, it's perhaps that you have committed that sin again. Or maybe a sin came into your life that you didn't even know was possible. Maybe you got divorced. And maybe you just imploded everything through some decisions. And the sense can be that God somehow isn't still with me. I remember speaking to someone a while ago who had screwed up their life again and I was communicating to this person the gospel and I was communicating to them the grace of Jesus Christ, how how God has grace on us through Jesus and that God has forgiven him already of his sin. And he told me, he said, I cannot receive it because if I receive it, then somehow I think I'll screw up again. And this is somebody who's completely resting on their, on their own abilities to save themselves. It's somebody who has not received the gospel. It's somebody who has not received the grace of God. But this is, why is this story in here? Why is it back to back with this statement of, 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 of how Jacob has not cared at all about his daughter, didn't care about his sons and the way that they had lived. And then immediately God says, hey, I want you to go to that place where I made that promise to you. I want you to go back to that place. I want you to go back to that moment that you had with me, and I I want to remind you of what I said to you there. I want to remind you that I am still with you. I mean, if you were to look back at that, at that moment, I don't know if you remember the story from Genesis 28, where Jacob is, is uh, running from his brother. He lays down to go to sleep, and he has this vision. And the vision is this ladder, and there's angels going up and down and up and down from this ladder, and God is, is there over that ladder. God is there and God is speaking to him. And God says to him, and it, it says this, and, and Genesis 28, verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. 
the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. God makes that promise to Jacob, but when you look at his life, like it's just, when you look at that situation, you say, God should not have been making promises to somebody who was never going to be able to keep up their end of the bargain. Like, like you and I, when we think about, you know, somebody, we, we, we would never ask someone else to promise to us who just doesn't keep their word. They've been an unfaithful friend. And that's, what, that's how we view God. We say, God, you should never make a promise to me because I could never hold up my end of the bargain. And yet God is sovereign over that situation. And God knows where you've been and God knows where you're going. And he knows where you are right now. And yet God still makes promises. And God is making a promise to Jacob in that moment and here he is now in chapter 35 again at the tail end of his life after he has just really blown it again. God doesn't speak at all in that situation, either good or bad. And God just says, can we just go back to that moment? It's like, it's like Jacob has just got his head in his hands and he's just going, what have I done? God, why do you, why do you have a relationship with me? And it's like God put his arm around him and said, hey, dude, let's go back to Bethel. Come on. Let's go back to Bethel. Let's, let's hang out a little bit. I want to spend time with you. I want to remind you of what I said to you. I want, I want to talk with you. Look at how God personalizes himself. Look at what God is showing you about him. God wants to put his arm around you and he wants to tell you, the promise still stands, buddy. Honey, the promise still stands. You didn't screw it up. In fact, you can't screw it up. See, God's presence, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. God's promise is always that. I don't know how many of you walked in this morning feeling like at any moment, God's going to leave me. At any moment, He's, he's going to find out that, that I am just masquerading as somebody who's a Christian. I'm just masquerading as a good person. I, at any moment, God's going to find out, and he's going to say, hey, get with the program. Either you be a good friend back to me or talk to the hand, right? <laughs> Something, whatever he's going to say. But that's not what God does. God reminds him. Let's go back to Bethel. So Jacob says to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, the response to God's grace in that moment, God's saying, let's go back to Bethel. I want to remind you that I'm never leaving you. The response is often when you sense the love of God, when you sense the real love of God, when you, when you sense what the true love of God, what ends up happening is this, is that you begin to say, okay, I'm going to release 
my stranglehold on the gods that I've been serving. And we, we oftentimes say here that we, we, we're not actually worshiping uh, false idols or, or things like that today, but we worship money, sex, and power. We worship the idea of the, the freedom of choice, the freedom to be whatever I want to be in spite of God. This month, this last month, whenever this was, the, the, the pride thing, that's not just for the LGBT community. All of us are standing in pride. All of us are standing in pride in the face of God and saying, I will manage my life however I want. I'll have sex with whoever I want. I'll use my finances however I want because I made this money. I did it. I made this happen. We stand in pride. But when we experience the grace of God, in its fullness, when you experience the fact that you can't outsin God, you can't outrun him, you can't sin so much that God will not be there for you anymore. You can't sin too much. When you realize that, then you can finally come to a place where you say, okay, if he loves me this much, if he loves me in this way, then I can release these things. And that's what Jacob is saying. And who knows why they had all of these these foreign gods. Perhaps it was when they went and plundered the city of Shechem after they killed everyone. And they took everything of value, including these valuable gods. I mean, you got to think about it. In this big city, they certainly were worshiping false gods. And as a result, they, these things are valuable. Whatever they looked like, whatever these idols were, whatever these earrings were that they had, and so his family goes and plunders the city, and they take from that city their gods, and they begin to worship them. Jacob has the good sense to experience the grace of God and then say, let's put on new garments. Let's purify ourselves from all of this false idol worship. He says in verse 3, then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob says to his family, I, I need to go worship this God. He's just reminded me that he's with me wherever I will go, and, I, and he's the one who answers me in the day of my distress He's, he's been with me no matter what I've gotten myself into. And God is saying that to you, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. That God is with you wherever you go. God is with you in the midst of that sinful situation. God is with you in the midst of your spiritual deadness. God is with you in the midst of a difficult marriage. God is with you wherever you go, and he is the one who answers you in the day of your distress. Look to God. His presence is the first piece there. Number two, God's protection. God's protection. Verse five, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Now, we have all had friends, perhaps, or maybe you've had a friend, where you say, you know what? 
I've done everything I can do for you. And sometimes we do need to say this. We do need to have boundaries. But let's just say for a moment that there's somebody who continues to screw up and continues to screw up. At, at some point, we finally have to say, you know what? You're going to have to deal with your mess. I remember somebody who, uh, who I know who repeatedly was in trouble with the law. I had warned them, had told them, hey, listen, you're going to end up in jail again. You're going you're gonna to end up uh, get, getting arrested for what you're doing. And sure enough, that day came, got the phone call. I'm in jail again. And I made the decision to say, I'm not going. I'm not going. You need to sit in jail tonight. You need to deal with what's going on in your life. You need to feel the effects. And sometimes that's in order. And sometimes that's, that's what we deserve. Sometimes that's what we need, and God allows us to go through that. And really, God had every reason to say, you know what, Jacob? The way that you led your sons, you've created little demon kids who kill everybody. And Jacob, you need to suffer the consequences of this. I'm going to let you fight this battle on your own. You're on your own on this one. And God could, have, God could have said that, but instead, God, his presence goes with Jacob. He's with him wherever he goes, and God is protecting him. And likewise, even in the midst of our own sin, God still saves us. God still protects us. I mean, there are situations that we have caused that at times God still protects us. Perhaps we got ourselves into financial difficulty because we overspent. We, we, we got into this difficulty and now we can't seem to get out of it. We're in credit card debt. We bought too big of a house. We bought uh, you know, too nice of a car, whatever it is. And yet we, we finally return to God and we say, God, we're, we're in a, a real financial pickle here and we need your help. And yet God somehow seems to still help us through those things. It's as if God is with us all the way, and he just says, I just want you to turn to me and ask me for my help. I just, I just want to be there for you. And no, it's not like God saves everything, gives us a million dollars, hey, you can figure that out. No, God uses these difficulties and allows us to persevere through them and allows us to deal with those things. But God is still with Jacob, and he still is protecting him. And then it says, and Jacob came to lose in verse 6 which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, or, or God of uh, the, the, the sanctuary of God is what that would be. And the El doesn't mean like, like the, like it would like, I don't know if you remember El Guapo from uh, the Three Amigos. It's not like the handsome or something like that. It's El as in God, El is God in that, in that situation there. So El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because there had, there had, there, I'm sorry, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So what's going on here? God's still protecting him, but even more than that, what he's doing is he's affirming his promise. Number three, God's promises. God is affirming his promise to him. God hasn't abandoned Jacob. And he hasn't abandoned you. God isn't letting you go. Look at verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again 
when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. What's God doing here? God has already had this conversation with Jacob. And he's already told him, hey, you are no longer Jacob, you're Israel. And so here's Jacob, instead of acting like Israel, he's acting like Jacob again. He's putting his head in the sand. He's not leading his family well. And so God, in that moment, should have said, hey, we're taking away the name Israel because you are not living up to that name. You're not living up to the name that I gave you. But God still comes back and he still affirms again. Hey, remember that time when I changed your name? Remember that promise that I gave you? Remember that I'm going to fight for you? God says, that's still here. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. And look at what he's saying there. Like, it's not just that I'm with you. It's not just that I'm going to protect you, but the promises are off the table. No, I'm, I'm with you. My presence is here. My protection is here for you. And the promises that I made to you at the very beginning are still the promises. In fact, it's not just the promises that I gave to you, Jacob, but it's the promises that I gave to your grandfather, Abraham. Do you see what God's doing here? God made a promise to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And, and I'm going to give you this land. It's a land and a people and nations. And here's Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who is barren. She can't have kids. And Abraham's like, hey, how am I going to become a great nation? And God says, I'm going to give you a child of your very own. And so Abraham has to wait, and he has to wait, and he has to wait. But God finally fulfills his promise when he has Isaac. And so the promises go to Isaac. And then Isaac uh, then uh, has uh, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob finally has two wives. He has Rachel and Leah, and then he's got these concubines and whatnot. And now here he is. He's beginning to have kids, it says later on in the passage here. And what is God doing? God is fulfilling his promise. God's promises are true. He's faithful to his promises. And so here we have, we have Jacob, who's really royally screwed up. God's with him, he's protecting him, and he remains, uh, he remains faithful to his promises. And Jacob is still in good with God, in spite of how messed up he is. And then it goes on to list the fact that Rachel dies, and that's a sad moment. And it talks a little bit about, in verse 22, how Reuben has an inappropriate relationship with Bilhah, and that's foreshadowing for the future. Everything's not perfect. That's going to come out uh, a little bit more in the future. But Jacob's still dealing with the way that he's led his sons. And here's Reuben, his oldest son, who commits a, an egregious sin against his father. And then it goes into talking about the, the 12 sons. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel. God is fulfilling his promise. 
He's showing Jacob, hey, look, I have fulfilled what I've said I was going to do. And so here we have these 12 tribes. And then we see that Isaac dies. And so here we are at the end of this life. What's this mean to us? What's this mean? Men and women, do you have an understanding of how gracious God is to you? Because I don't just want you to think about that occasionally. God doesn't want you to just think about that every now and then. God wants you to live in that moment that he's with you, that he protects you, and that his promises remain true because of this. Because of this. Because we don't grow, we don't excel in an environment that says, if you screw up, you're in big trouble. You're not going to grow in that situation. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the true and the living God. You don't really know God at that point. What What is the God of the Bible? It's this God who just persistently continues to pursue his man. He persistently pursues this guy and will not let him go. And it reminds me so much of Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just this, this overall statement, because we have faith in this God, because we have faith in him, we have been justified in Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We don't have to look back on all of the things that we've done. We don't have to look back on all these things and, and continue to recount them and grovel and whatnot. It's saying just completely right here, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And men and women, you have peace with God the way that Jacob has peace with God because God is so incredibly good. He's not waiting for you to make a change. He's not waiting for you to do something different. He's not waiting for you to turn over a new leaf. You already have peace with God when you have faith in him, when you trust him. So the question is, do we trust him? Romans 5.8 says, but God shows us, shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that I have to stop sinning. It's not that I need to clean myself up. It's, it's this moment I'm in the midst of a horrific situation and God is still speaking to me right now because it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. In the midst of your sin today, in the midst of the ways that you have denied God, in the midst of the ways that you have continually not lived for him in various ways, God is dying for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. He knew where you were going to be. He knew what what life was going to be like for you. He knew all of the ways that you were going to screw up, all of the actions that you were going to take, and yet Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and I believe it's about this passage. He says, I don't think we ever really get the gospel until we realize this one thing, and that is 
that the more I sin, the more God forgives me. And as a result, the thought pops into our head, then why would I ever stop sinning? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you don't really get the gospel until you see that fact. You don't really get the gospel until you begin to think to yourself, I could just go on sinning, and I could just go on sinning, and he would just keep on forgiving, and he would just keep on forgiving, and I could just go on sinning, and I could just go on sinning, and he would just forgive and forgive and forgive. Look at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, this part right here. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's like the more that I sin, the more grace from God I get. The more that I continually screw things up, the more that God is gracious to me. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. You don't really get the gospel until you see that fact. Well, I could just go on sinning and go on sinning and God would forgive me. Yes, that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the law. Jesus is the one who instead of you doing all the right things, Jesus is the one who did all the right things for you. And Jesus takes his record and he hands it to you. And he says, my record is now imputed to you. My record is now given to you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your record of wrongs. He says, he, he sees Jesus' record of rights. He sees the perfections of Christ. The beauty of the gospel is this, is that I have a clean slate, not just from my past, not just from my present, but also for my future. Oftentimes we say, okay, I'm okay with my past being forgiven, but now it's up to me to really dig into this and make my life better, and I just, I better not screw this up. I get one last chance, and I'm, and I'm going to make things, I'm going to make things better. No, that's not the way that it works. That's not believing the gospel. That's not believing the truth of God. That's not how God operated in Jacob's day. That's not how God operates through Jesus Christ today. God operates on a sheer grace. It will be all of grace or it will be nothing. It will be none of your effort to save you or it'll be nothing. It is God's effort for you. It is God's presence, his protection, and his promises that remain true. And here's why, and it's ultimately because Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. Christ died to save sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This is the incredible news of the gospel. And it's something that you and I must hear on a regular basis because here's what I I think, here's what I think happens. With every sermon, I, I write down a problem statement. I, I think of a problem that today's church, today's people from our world that might be in, in, our, in our services, I think of that problem and the, and the problem that I really landed on this week was this. People just think that they've just gone too far sometimes. How could God love me? 
I've just gone too far this time. And they think that God is not persistent in the way that he pursues you through his gospel. And I got to tell you, God is the faithful friend. And he's putting his arm around you today in spite of the fact that tonight you're going to totally blow it. He's putting his arm around you tonight, this morning, and he's saying, let's go to Bethel. Let's go to Calvary. And he wants you, and he wants you to look at Calvary. Calvary is where Jesus died. And he, he, wants you to, he wants to take you back to that place. See, Calvary is our Bethel today. And God wants to take you back, and he wants to show you this mountain, and he wants to say, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? That was a promise that was made to you and for you and to all who will believe. It's not for the good and tidy people. It's not for the people that think that they have it all together. They're actually farther away from God than the people that know that they're screwed up. And God wants to show you his mountain. His mountain of grace for you because God is a faithful friend. Once you look at him that way, let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you so much for, for the truth of your gospel. And I pray that it would uh, get into every part of us. Lord, that we'd be reminded this morning that we cannot out you. Because you are a faithful friend even when we are an absolutely unfaithful friend. So Lord, this morning as we come to your, your table as we come to the, the Lord's Supper, Lord, may we be reminded that you bled out and died for us on the cross and that there's nothing that's going to change that. Your promises are still true. There's nothing that can take us out of your hand. There's no way that we could, we could ever get away from you. You're so good to us. You're such a faithful friend. Thank you, Jesus, that you are such a faithful friend. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I would just ask you this morning,